Hello there. You are listening to At The Well, the weekly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of scripture. I'm Jarrell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And you are joining us today for the next installment of our sixth season here at The Well, Worthy of Honor, where we highlight awesome women in the Bible to learn all that we can from their stories. And as you know, for every episode this season, we will be joined by a different awesome woman who is currently at work building the kingdom of God. This week's guest has an introduction written in her own words. While I wear different hats in my church, my most formal title in the church is admin assistant. All my ministry experience has been with Solid Rock, Solid Rock Church in Maryland, besides the intentionality and zeal I had when first growing into the faith. I've often referred to myself as Pauletta or Paulina when thinking about my trajectory. And fun fact, I've identified as atheist, agnostic, and even attempted to be Muslim throughout different points in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, she bears and he bears, we are joined today by Miss Jasmine Baker. Jasmine, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. I appreciate uh, you have this really like legit host voice. Doesn't he? You need to be on a a real TV show. Well, thank you. You hear that, Charles? Get to work on how to produce sound and and video for TV. Oh, okay. I think we have some friends who can hook us up. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you. You are too kind. And you you keep our friend uh, Eli here out of trouble at Solid Rock Church. Now, you can be honest here. He's not listening. Um, is he a handful at church? Like, what, what kind of person is he when we're what? not there to keep up with him? <laughs> Let me tell you. What? This guy, he has been a, a small source of frustration for me because... You know, and luckily the Lord, the Lord, it might be the Lord's doing that it's happening this way. Uh, um, we've, you know, COVID has been a blessing in the sense that uh, it's put a lot of our ministry ideas on hold for a while. Yeah. So I was pressing Eli last year, slightly before COVID, mm-hmm. to, um, to join this potential eldership class. Okay. Our church. And he did not do it. It sounded um. like he was he was entertaining the idea. He sounded like he was with it. <laughs> but <laughs> class came around and he didn't he didn't sign up, you know. But you know, it's been postponed. It'll be coming back this fall. So I'm praying fervently that I will get to call him Pastor Elijah one day. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the that's that's the that's the biggest headache. Other than that. Eli has been a huge blessing and a joy to be around um, and to see like all the ministry work that he's doing in our church and to, you know, just be blessed by all his gifts, you know? Oh, oh I appreciate that. Other than being called a headache, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep you humble. I keep us humble on this podcast. You know, he, he would just go and make a pandemic an excuse. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for being on and for your work in Solid Rock. We're going to talk a bit more about that and your experience in ministry in a bit. But first, we are going to start with our question of the week. If you'd like to submit, submit a question for us to answer during the segment, you can email us at three guys at the well. That's the number three. Then guys at the well, all one word and lowercase at gmail.com. And so for this week's question, this is kind of... Um, an offshoot of a much wider question that we're probably going to answer in more detail on our Patreon. If you're not a patron, head on over to patreon.com forward slash at the well. 
for our Jesus in the movie series, because this is going to be something we do for that. But the bigger question is, if you had a Mount Rushmore of most hated television characters, who would be on it? Now, that, again, could take a very long time. I want you to give me one, one character on your Mount Rushmore of hated TV characters of all time. Deep, deep reflection. I guess I can go because I've thought about this for a bit, probably more than I should have thought about it. Um, I think for me, it's Chang from Community. <laughs> I love the show Community. I just finished rewatching it. I think it's really funny and it's becoming a comfort show of mine. But Chang is a character that it became very clear that they lost ideas for after the first season but he was in it for the duration of all six seasons. And so a lot of his, and Ken, it's played like Ken Jong, who I think is hilarious, like genuinely a really funny guy and seems like a nice dude. Um, but a lot of the writing around Chang gets to a point where you're just kind of like, hang on, why is he still here? Um, <laughs> that grates after a while, as much as I love Ken Jong, uh, Professor Ben Chang from Community is a character that I'm not, not a huge fan of. <laughs> I actually think I have one, and I'm I'm gonna be hated for this. Oh, get these hot takes going. Start with a bang. And this is gonna be a, a really like most hated character because I don't like this show either. Oh. And people really get on me for not liking this show. Ooh. It's gonna be Dwight from The Office. <laughs> <laughs> that Why was... do you hate Dwight? <laughs> Let him finish. <laughs> He's just annoying. He's just annoying. He's annoying. And I don't like the show. So if I don't like the show, the character that I think that's supposed to be the most annoying, like he's going to have to be the most hated guy. I guess other people would probably say Michael, though, right? Oh, I hate the manager. Michael. I hate yeah. him. He's so actually I, probably I on my about Experiences Rushmore. with Steve Carell in like other movies. So therefore, I can't hate him mm. um, as much as other people do. But Dwight, mm. you know, I don't know him that much. <laughs> what's rain wilson done <laughs> i respect that dwight is kind of annoying i i, I can see why everyone would be like huh not so much i just uh phoned a friend because that's a good question and i know there's probably some that i'm not thinking about but i just asked my wife chelsea because we often watch the same tv shows and she had a good answer that i agree with um and uh the character is rolling shit Yes, you heard me right. Roland Shit from Shit's Creek. Um, that does not count as a swear, by the way. Eli. Kind of does. Kind of does. Uh, that's a pun. Um, you have to spell it. <laughs> um, I, I will say, when he first shows up, the first season or two, it's he's like, he's really annoying. He is just like the worst and then but he does redeem himself over time but it's like moments and then the rest of the time he's just annoying so i think he's on my mount rushmore so in thinking about my own mount rushmore uh, i was thinking about like oh i'll i have a list of people and i don't do shows very often i watch more movies more often I, I, i'm a repeat watcher um one of the first faces I thought of is just like squeaky and annoying and I don't like to see them succeed is Dolores Umbridge from the Harry Potter series. She 
burdened me <laughs> with how much I didn't like her. I didn't like her. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but you're also supposed to not like her. Um, also, oh, if we're doing current, like most current TV, sorry, I know we're only doing one, but I'm doing two because I just thought about his face. Ooh, Walker. The the uh, Walker from uh, Falcon and Falcon Winter Soldier. Yes, I cannot stand. <laughs> I cannot stand. And you're not supposed to like him that much, but I don't. I, I can't. He's too good at his job. He amazing actor. He did really well at making me not like the character. So sure. Oh man, well. I hope that our office fans are still listening uh, <laughs> <laughs> as we we transition out. So we have been going through this series, Worthy of Honor. It's been a lot of fun as we've been able to, for the first time, have guests and hear a bit more of their experience. So we're going to transition uh, to kind of hearing a bit more about, Jasmine, your experience in ministry, as we've said on this episode, this episode, this season uh, several times, a lot of what themes are thinking about this podcast is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which is all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we as just friends uh, and as disciples of Jesus Christ want to be equipped for every good work. We want our listeners to use this as a, as a tool to be equipped for every good work. And that means that we need to look at all scripture as something that is valid and necessary for that. And one of the things we love to do is take small um, or easily uh, passed over, just like unsung stories and characters in scripture and really think about, well, why is this here? What, what, what can we learn about who God is through this person? And often um, as men, we enjoy a lot of privilege in this area and that a lot of the characters that are often spoken about in scripture are men, whether we're learning from their growth and development as disciples or whether we're learning from their failure. There's a lot of familiarity with um, analyzing characters that we relate to in that way. And so a big part of this show, but specifically worthy of honor, is to focus on stories that otherwise we may not have seen and otherwise aren't given the same kind of focus um, to learn from the victories and mistakes of women in scripture and to do that through the lens of a woman who's currently building the kingdom of God. Um, this was an idea of our, I, I keep trying to think of new diff, different ways to describe Eli and I'm, I'm already failing. Um, our bougie and uh, immaculately dressed Eli. There's a good one. I need to start writing these down. Um, about a year ago, and we've been excited to kick this around and figure out uh, how to do the, this, this season ever since. So in line with all of that, uh, Jasmine, we'd love to hear a bit about, in your experience, what aspects of Christian womanhood or ministry to Christian women aren't seen well or understood? This one was a, a a difficult a difficult um question for me because I think my my story is unique and I think when I have conversations with other Christian women in my circles they kind of challenge me just because of my background um and my personality of where I am now 
but <clears throat> I still think it's a, it's a good challenge for Christian women and, and it'll slip into Christian manhood as well and how I see the church operate. But I think for Christian womanhood, um, one thing that's not well understood is um, the necessity to have healthy relationships with our brothers in Christ. Um, and I see that just affecting the church in various ways. Um, I don't see, I haven't seen it done too well outside of, um, you know, some of the college ministries, other than the college ministries, I'd say, and then probably like outside of married, some married groups, um, just because married husband and wives are friends, right? But I think I don't see true um, relationships between men and women. And I think it affects women a bit. Uh, it affects women a bit differently um, in our walk because we just we're just lacking um, the diversity of the body. And I think um, men and women alike are desirous for marriage, but I think the Lord has provided healthy relationship in lieu of that because I think there is a growing contingency that we're seeing in American Christianity where a lot of Christians are going to be called to be eunuchs for the kingdom. And um, we need re healthy relationships with one another to be able to live that out faithfully. So I'd say that's my, the, the, one of the aspects that are, aren't seen well um, throughout our walks. Amen. Yeah. The diversity in the body of Christ and recognizing the differences between like call to marriage and like how you said, like to be eunuchs for the kingdom of God. It's like, well, that requires community that requires healthy dynamics. Absolutely. What would you say are some examples of times that you have seen this done well um, and good relating, not just between individual friends, but as a body of believers in a church or like you said, in ministry? Um, and you can probably guess what my question after that will be. <laughs> got you, got you. Um, <clears throat> this will be a shout out to Eli again as well, because I think he's one of the men that does it well in our church. Um, and I, I've seen the fruit by people he's bringing, to, bringing into the church and that have become members. Um, a lot of them are women. Um, so I think that speaks great heights to like what he's doing um, with his personal ministry. And I'd say just um, myself, I've been able to benefit um, by having a lot of great male um, brothers um, in the church. And ironically, you know, all of my closest male, men, male friends in the church are married. Um, so I think the Lord has uh, definitely blessed me. I know this last year was a bit of a struggle for me to think about this transitioning, but one of my best male friends in the church uh, he got married and I was, I was really struggling. Like, what, what is that going to look like for our relationship? Cause we've just had like a really tight brother and sister friendship. Um, and that's just been because like our, our lives have kind of mimicked each other. Um, in some ways we, we grew up in similar backgrounds and, um, you know, had, had our mothers were very much alike in um, you know, the way our culture is, um, that was a tough thing, like he, because he's he's a he's a he's a big little brother to me, and um, I think I've yeah I've just been able to experience that uh, the guy who brought me to faith um, and shared the gospel with me, um, him as well. He was a great brother. Um, he worked at Chick Fil A and was my manager before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's several men that I can 
pull from that I've seen it done well with. Um, and, and most of them have been in my local church. So praise God for that. I guess a counterpoint to that, whether it be in a church community or an environment from leadership, what are some ways you've seen it not done as well and like not seeing those healthy relationships? Um, this will kind of, I think, get into the passage. Hopefully I don't, you know, give it away too much, but as I was even reading the passage, I seen how it can, it can be done a little bit. But I think um, just because we have to deal with so much, uh, you know, sexual immorality and sexual sin in the American culture, um, and let alone like that slipping into the church, I think um, just like the the far isolation in between men and women, where there's just awkwardness, um, where where men and women just aren't having conversations, or like um, there kind of always needs to be another person present. In those relationships, <clears throat> um, although I see the wisdom in it sometimes to have um, boundaries in place, I think sometimes it, 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 it doesn't hope the best or believe the best or believe that, you know, we exercise enough self-control um, as believers in Christ to see relationships flourish one-on-one -on -one without there being romantic intimacy slipping into that. Um, picture. Um, and I think, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think obviously there's, you know, sin present and there's potential for that. But I think um, there just needs to be greater accountability um, for that stuff to, to happen and for it to be done well to honor the Lord. Yeah, it's the tension there of like, you know, honor God in your relationships, uh, be appropriate, don't just see people as potential but be friends <laughs> I actually be friends um and how to walk that line between there being safeguards for the sake of like um appropriate relating without it being like oh I I know I've been in situations where I've been like almost afraid to just be like a friend uh to some of the women in like ministry I was like in college and that can be a really weird thing that yeah, separates people further. Um, so what did, I, I know I'm, I keep putting you on the spot here. <laughs> what advice would you give um, to either someone who is just a member of the church, of a church body or a body of believers, or leadership within a body of believers to kind of leaven um, this situation between, uh, between men and women, to um, be able to either walk that line better or create a culture in which those relationships are encouraged and given like proper space to flourish into healthy things as opposed to just people looking for their Ruth or Boaz or whatever. Yeah, I think we see a, a few good examples in scripture, obviously Jesus and um, all the women that were a part of his ministry, right? Um, them being, you know, having important roles in that. Um, I think we see it with Paul um, specifically in like Philippians, where he's, you know, shouting out women in ministry. I think we see it a little bit in, in Acts. Um, obviously, the relationship was, you know, a marriage with Priscilla and Aquila. But the fact that, you know, she was a part of that ministry, ministering to a man, helping, you know, correct him and grow him in the faith. Those are some healthy examples. But 
ultimately, I think it has to be a desire of the heart. And I think we have to pray. Um, and I've, I've seen the Lord, you know, definitely bless prayer um, when I'm praying specific ways for my church and for my for my pastors. Um, the Lord's been faithful. So I think to just see a healthier body in general, to see every part of the body healthy and functional, that's something that needs to start with prayer and um, following it up with see, looking at healthy examples in scripture that affirm um, these things so we can have a, a greater vision um, of what the body of Christ has the potential to look like as we're being sanctified and becoming one in mind and in body and spirit. So, yeah. It was excellent advice. Thank you for that. I want to open up to my brothers because I've kind of dominated the question segment. <laughs> any, any questions you guys for Jasmine? Not yet. I'm interested in like hearing what you say about the, about our passage. Uh, Cause a lot of this stuff that you're answering for Darrell right now, you and I have pretty much spoken about. So there's a, there's a level of, this is like an insider scoop that I have <laughs> coming into this, in this interview. So uh, I'm looking, I'm, I love hearing what you say and hearing you articulate um, the truth. And I hope and pray that like, you continue to have spotlight on, on the wisdom that you have to share in terms of like church, like do better um, because we have the spirit of God dwelling in us. I don't have any questions yet. Well, in that spirit, um, with Jasmine teeing us up with a little tease for the passage, Eli teeing us up for questions, let's let's dive right in. So we, our awesome woman of scripture that we are studying this week is Mary Magdalene. This week's passage is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 11 through 18. If you have your Bibles and you aren't driving, you can start turning there now while I set the scene. Mary Magdalene features heavily in the Gospels, one of Jesus' original running mates since he cast seven demons out of her. Mary was a faithful disciple who must have been devastated when the Lord was crucified. In the midst of grief and an uncertain future, she journeyed with Mary, the mother of Jesus, to the Lord's tomb to pay her respects. Nothing could have prepared her for the next chapter of her journey with Jesus. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you, had carried, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. 
But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Gentlemen and lady, what can we learn from Mary Magdalene's story? So one of the first things that brought me a lot of joy um, is one of the points that Jasmine made earlier, um, reading outside of this particular John uh, verse, because we had we originally planned for a number of other ones to be included in this in this reading. Um, and so Sorry about it, that. You know, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. It gave me a fuller picture when I read all of it. And so it mentions that like women were the ones who were financially con contributing uh, to Jesus and his and his disciples, his other disciples during the ministry out of their own means. And so there is this sense of like dependability that I that I don't think we're always that we're keen to give women when we read about them in scripture. There's usually this um, I think almost cultural. A veil that's put over biblical descriptions of women that says, oh, they're very demure, oh, they're not real, they're just, like, typically they're the victims of certain things, or there's always this weakness, not meekness, meekness is a good thing, but, like, there's always this weakness that's sort of put over them, um, and here we are with a woman who uh, was, is not a, was not a prostitute, but was freed from um, the possession of demons, and in that, in her freedom, uh, was able to give her means and support Jesus. Uh, I love that, like, Jesus famously said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, uh, which is basically a cover uh, very colorful way of saying, like, he lived in poverty and had, didn't have a place of his own. Um, but, like, it was the Father's will that his son would would not die from poverty or from starvation, but that his son would be provided or given provision through women. I, I, that, that's the first thing that blew my mind about her. Yeah, just to quickly jump on that one, in terms of the, the dependability piece that you're pointing out, the other thing that struck me, I, I looked a little bit into Jewish custom of burials, and um, it is customary for men to prepare the body of a man and women to prepare the body of a woman, of a woman. And in, um, I believe it's Luke, uh, in the, the resurrection account, we find that Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, I think Susanna, are on their way in this, in this story to go prepare the body for a proper burial. And that's like that. Where were the disciples? Where, where were, where were the followers, the men that follow Jesus? Probably scared, and and to to go to the place, the tomb that he was buried with Roman guards. But these women were going to prepare the body. They were dependent. They were honoring the Lord. And that just struck me that why where were where were the guys? probably very scared and not zealous, not bold enough as, as Mary was. That, that stuck out to me as, as well. Like the, because the context of this passage is like the disciples aren't just like chilling, like they're hiding, like they're in hiding. Um, they put all of their chips on Jesus thinking that he was like the hero of the story and they watched him die well John watched him die the rest of them dipped when they got him from Gethsemane 
but you have uh both Marys who like it's crazy because you think Peter like Peter denied Jesus because he knew that people knew that he was Peter they knew that like he had been riding with Jesus for a while right and so Peter denied Jesus because he was like if they're doing this to him they're gonna get me and then was nowhere to be seen from like that moment until he uh, got beaten a foot race by John to the tomb but both Marys I believe I know Mary the mother of Jesus did Mary Magdalene followed Christ through okay just want to be sure um both followed him and watched him die so not only is that a harrowing enough thing to like experience but also people knew who they were and Jesus was an enemy of the state and there had to be this thinking of if the disciples thought well they're going to come for us too surely that crossed their mind but it didn't matter and like you said Charles the faithfulness the dependability of like when other people who knew Jesus closely were fleeing and hiding for their lives they still went to prepare the body and to to pay their respects is something that I like I can't say that that would be my first second or third inclination um and yet that's what they did and that's where they met the Lord it's just it's such an interesting thing in context to think about yeah coming on on the tales of you guys I think, and, you know, having the benefit of reading both of those passages, (laughs) both the John and the Luke. um, So that's kind of, it was, it was kind of a cheat code to help paint a broader picture. But um, what I've seen being done here was kind of a reversal. I feel like when I, when I read scripture, I always have to connect it to other parallels and Eve came to mind and I felt like the Lord kind of redeemed redeemed the testimony of women here um, in this passage to a degree Um, because between Luke and this passage you see that Mary is the one who who goes to tell the men and they're just like in disbelief in, in, in a sense and there's this tension that I think women always have to live with I know um for for most of the um at least this is this is going to sound like a generalization, but for most of the African American women that I've seen come through Solid Rock Church during our membership class, the 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 hardest thing to the hardest pill to swallow is that like women cannot be pastors, women cannot be elders, right? So there's this tension, um, and Paul says, you know, the woman was the was the weaker one, was the one that was deceived, um, but here you don't see that in this passage, and it just gives you a greater hope and a comfort, I think, for women. Um, on top of how these women served Jesus day in and day out while he did his ministry and even to death, you know, standing at the foot of the cross, um, it being a group of women that were there while there were no, probably just one or two men there um, that stayed there to the end and then, you know, took care of him at his burial site. So yeah, this passage was, was encouraging and I think encouraging for women in general um, to just see the Lord um redeem our testimony and and use women strongly with 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 you know bringing the gospel around full circle um saying that hey he has risen that he is he is here so yeah yeah thanks for that jasmine i love that redeeming the testimony 
because the other thing that I think like stands out about this passage is that Mary Magdalene was the first person that Jesus revealed his glorified body to a woman and someone who was with him from really from jump was the one that got to see him first was the one that got to tell the other disciples that he was risen. Uh, and I think that speaks volume to the value of, of women and, and, and the value that Jesus sees, like it's, it, that's, I don't think that's like a small thing to overlook who was the first person that, that Jesus revealed himself to. It doesn't matter. Actually, I think it's really important. I think it's a pretty big deal that it was Mary Magdalene. Um, and yeah, so I think, yeah, when you, you talked about redeeming uh, the testimony. I just thought about that point as well, that she was the first person that that physically saw him after his resurrection. Yeah. Uh, so jumping off of that, jumping off of that, Jasmine. So you mentioned in, in your comment that like people come into Solid Rock, Solid Rock's understanding of scripture is that you don't take the position of a pastor. And yet that does not rob you of the ability to glorify God in preaching the gospel, right? So like, effectively, she was preaching the gospel. He's back. Like, this is the good news to the disciples. And like, we haven't done that. We're still like sort of at the beginning half-ish of our uh, recordings. And we haven't done this yet. But I specifically kind of want to honor Mary for which, like, I honor Mary for staying at the tomb and grieving there personally rather than going home, which is what John and Peter did. Um, I honor her for not returning to the other disciples and hiding because, as you put it, Jarrell, like, the rest of them were kind of, like, scared. And granted, I would probably be terrified, too, like, Jesus, like, to see the person you thought was just it. Uh, be slaughtered, right, it, over the course of hours. It's not like a, a, a quick bullet to the face. No, it was like you saw him suffer uh, and not be able to get himself out of that situation. Rather, the reality was he was choosing not to get himself out of the situation because um, God is always sovereign. I also, like, mainly honor her because, as all of us have said at this point, uh, he chose Mary Magdalene to be the first herald of his resurrection. Um, and I, along with doing these things, I've been reading this um, book. It's called Women of the Bible. It's a year-long um, devotional. Um, and it, it sort of like goes through all the named, well, most all of the named and some of the unnamed women of scripture. And it says this very beautiful thing about her that put, sort of crystallized all of my ideas about her. Mary Magdalene, a person who had been deranged because of the possession of demons, whose testimony would not have held up in court because she was a woman, was the first to witness of the resurrection. Once again, God had revealed himself to the lowly and, would, and it would only be the humble whose hearing was sharp enough to perceive the message of his love. Um, and so I also wanna honor God because he chose, to, I also wanna honor Mary because God chose to honor her. Um, he's the one who put her in a position of that, that is, like her, she's known in, as, in history as the person who delivered the first resurrection message. Um, and that's just what God made her out to be. Yeah, who, who are we to receive that kind of grace from God? Um, 
but I appreciate that. And it, just to close my, just this point of my thought is like Isaiah 52, seven, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I love it. I love everything about this passage. I think it's well, I'm trying, oh, wait, Charles. Yeah, I was just uh, another my the only other thing that I got from this passage, which I think is striking and something that we can learn that I that I learned from uh, the testimony of Mary Magdalene is, um, do we know Jesus's voice? Because in her grieving, this guy shows up and she's probably tears and she's talking to him and turning back to the tomb be like, hey, do you know where this guy is? But it wasn't until she said he said. Mary. And I, it, to me, it just, it said, it spoke to the intimacy of the relationship that she had. And, and going to what you were talking about just earlier, Jasmine, a very healthy, brotherly and sisterly relationship. It wasn't a romantic way that he said his voice is just pure love that she immediately recognized who it was. And I just went, do I know the Lord's voice in that way, in the way that Mary Magdalene does. And I don't think I do, but I think there's a test, there's a testament there that, okay, I need to get on Mary's level in terms of recognizing when the Lord says Charles and is, is trying to catch my attention. No, absolutely. I, yeah, there's so much here. It's a very short passage, which, which I love because I don't have to read chapters worth of material. Wait till we get to Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's going to be a long one, but there's so much here. And the thing that I kind of seized on was, as I said, like, we talked a bit about Mary's, like, devotion or faithfulness and dependability and, like, what her being the first person that Jesus revealed him, himself to means. Um, but, like, she, it's, it can't be understated. She is so, so, like, still convinced of who Jesus is in the midst of this like we know we said the disciples are hiding we know that Thomas basically was like well I was wrong um and had to be convinced by like like touching the wounds of Jesus right but Mary is like this isn't the response of someone who believes that they thought something about someone that was proved to be false as Eli said through watching them suffer for hours on a cross this isn't the response of someone who thinks that like Jesus isn't who he says he is like her brokenness over his death and like desperation to like still like see the body speaks to like this wasn't to her this still wasn't someone who was just a man like Jesus to her is still it even if the disciples and other people were questioning it and so I started to think like well what how how do you get how does you someone get to that point or having experienced all the things she's experienced and seeing what she saw, this man could die in front of her. And she's like, but he's still God. And I think there's something there to the, a bit of a backstory that we had to Mary, Mary Magdalene is that she's someone who Jesus cast seven demons out of. And it got me thinking there's something to the Lord encountering people in deep darkness and showing himself to be present in the darkness that we face that really validates him in a way that's hard to hard to describe or hard to nail down unless you've experienced it. There's something about the validity of knowing who God is because you've seen him at your worst that 
puts him in a different like level of thinking in your mind. Um, like I, I in college, I went through a season where I was like very depressed um, and like surprised by how depressed I was. And over a lot, not immediately over the course of like months, the Lord met me in that. And since then, it's not to say I've never been anxious. It's not to say I've never been depressed. I absolutely have. But there's been something ever since then that I can look back and say that, but God did it then. Like God did it then where I wasn't happy anytime I was awake. God did, did it then when I didn't have any like control over my thoughts. God did it then when I didn't think I was doing anything right. So he'll do it now. And there's something to the hope that the story of Mary Magdalene brings, I think, to all of us in those dark moments that said, that says the Lord can and will meet us there. And when he does, it gives us a perspective of him and a confidence in him that, yeah, has to kind of be experienced to be understood. Because for Mary, it's like, yeah, he died, but he cast seven demons out of me. Like, who am I to question that? Like, yeah, he died, but I like, but like for her, like, I know the darkness that I was in and I know that he brought me out of it. So yeah, he's going to kick out of this. And so I, I just really love that. And like, commend that about her story that like, um, out of recognizing where she had come from, like even death was something that she was like, eh, it's not too big for him. It's not too big for him to handle. Like, this is just not maybe what we expected, but he did this. So why wouldn't he do this? And I think there's something really powerful there for uh, anyone who's listening. If you find yourself in your own season of darkness and um, challenge where you can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel, the Lord is more than capable and willing to meet you there. And you will encounter a version of Jesus that will anchor you through future storms. Beautiful points, Jarrell. I have a point that goes back to what Charles said and what Jasmine said. So point you made earlier, Charles, about like knowing the Lord's voice. And it reminded me of like knowing scripture and knowing the word of God. And to your point, Jasmine, of just like how men and women function well together in the body and in discipleship. And like looking at how Jesus treated men and women during his ministry I've certainly gotten a better idea of how God honors how men and women complement each other in, in discipleship. And the more I read scripture, uh, the more I don't get the American idea that says that uh, women, or I guess wives more specifically, uh, can't make any money or more money than their husbands. Uh, and the Bible takes a lot of flack for that. I'm bringing that up because the like knowing the word of God, the Bible takes a crap ton of flack for that. Uh, but the idea is not necessarily in scripture. And people can misinterpret all they want, but disenfranchi disenfranchising women isn't, isn't a biblical ideal. It's an American one. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how in the church, and maybe this is the time to do it, like 2020 call, I mean, there's a massive upheaval in, in American culture that has been and things came to a head during 2020. Um, but like, how can the church continue to separate itself from American ideals that clearly put women on a lower peg than men when Christ did do that? 
And I guess maybe I'm asking that to you, Jasmine, like, how do we do that in the church? How do we do that at Solid Rock? How do we do that in, in the friendships that we have? Um, yeah, that is an interesting concept that you brought up specifically when it comes to women um, potentially making more right. I was um, talking to a male friend about this. We had a good conversation. Um, <clears throat> he had a critique that um, it seems like in marriages that men always get corrected more than their wives for not leading well. Mm. Like they get that extra pressure. And, you know, I had a hard time thinking about it. Um, and we, we have a great, a, a lot of faithful husband and wives in our church. Um, but I think the struggle that we're seeing right now is that I, I would like to see it fleshed out more and I need to, I think I would need to grow in, in closer proximity with um, more couples to, to really see this out, to test this theory out. But I'm wondering if women, we as women aren't being the best helpmates to men um, as we can. And I wonder if there is some intimidation or just unlearning that we have to do when we think about like, obviously men are called to provide, right? But that's not to say women can't provide as well. And I'm wondering if we do need to reevaluate how we've let the American culture or, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a social justice warrior, I promise when I say this, but maybe we do need to reevaluate with um, patriarchy, patriarchy looks like um, and how that's influenced us um, to let us work a bit better and complement each other a bit more as opposed to like letting the men carry the bulk of the weight um, and seeing them tire out and be, you know, just overworked to a degree. Let women step up and, and, and be helpmates and be a suitable helper for men to see what ways we can serve one another and to strengthen our body in general. Um, I think I think that's worth reevaluating. Re I think, um, I mean, our church isn't perfect, but I think we see women, we see some women do that well um, here at various aspects. We obviously have women a part of our leadership team. Um, we have women that lead worship at times. We have women that lead children's ministry <clears throat> in, other, other, in other capacities. But I think um, we should reevaluate those very things and critiques that you've um, pointed out um, and do, have some tough conversations, essentially. Very, very well said. This has been, been fun. I have never looked that much into this passage. So yeah, I'm thankful that we have uh, this season and uh, this theme to kind of dig into it. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. I'm still like spinning off your point about Mary Magdalene redeeming Eve specifically. I've never made that connection. So I'll be like, buzzing off of that for a little bit so thank you so much for joining us today it was great talking with you guys i enjoyed this yes we'll have to do it again soon all right you can all check us out at at the well.podbean.com we upload new episodes every monday on a podbean itunes spotify and google Podcasts. you can also connect with us on instagram and facebook by searching three guys at the well 
And if you want even more content and would like to help this podcast grow, consider becoming a patron and head over to patreon.com forward slash at the well for exciting new bonus content like our series on justice and our recurring series titled Jesus in the Movies. We'll talk to you next week here at the well.